0: Chapter twelve of Jacqueline of Golden River by h m Egbert This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Mulline. Chapter twelve Under the Mountains The dog was standing on a rock at the base of the hill immediately before me, and calling. I almost thought that it was calling me. I took a few steps toward it, and it disappeared immediately, as though alarmed, apparently into the heart of the mountain. I thought, of course, that it was crouching in a hollow place, or behind a boulder, and would reappear on my approach, but when I reached the spot where it had been it was nowhere to be seen, and the pad prints ran toward a tiny hole no bigger than the entrance to a fox's lair, and ended there at this spot an enormous boulder lay almost concealing the burrow i put my shoulder against it in the hope of dislodging it sufficiently to enable me to see into the cavity to my astonishment at the first touch it rolled into a new position disclosing a wide natural tunnel in the mountain side through which a sleigh might have passed easily i saw at once the explanation The boulder was a rocking stone. It must have fallen at some time from the top of the arch, and happened to be so poised that at a touch it could be swung into one of two positions, alternately disclosing and concealing the tunnel in the cliff wall. I stepped within, and striking a match, perceived that I was standing inside a vast cave, a vaulted chamber that ran apparently straight into the heart of the mountains. Great stalactites hung from the roof and dripped water upon the floor, on which numerous small stalagmites were forming, where they had not been crumbled away by the passage and repassage of sleighs. These had left two well-defined tracks in the soft stone under my feet. The cave was one of those common formations in limestone hills. How far it ran I could not know but I had little doubt that at last I was well upon my approach to the chateau. The interior was completely dark. At intervals I struck matches from the box which I had brought with me, but the road always ran clear and straight ahead, and I could even guide myself by the ruts in the ground. And every time I struck a match I could see the vaulted cavern, wide as a great cathedral extending right and left and in front of me. I must have been journeying for half an hour when I perceived a faint light ahead of me, and at the same time I heard the gurgling of a torrent somewhere near at hand. The light grew stronger. I could see now that the cavern had narrowed considerably, there were no longer any ruts in the ground, and by stretching out my arms I could touch the wall on either side of me i advanced cautiously until the light grew quite bright i saw the tunnel end in front of me and emerged into an open space in the heart of the hills i say an open space for it was as large as two city blocks but it was as though it had been dug out of the mountains by an enormous cheese scoop for on all sides sheer vertical walls of rock ascended so high that the light of day filtered down only dimly a swift river issuing from the base of one of these stupendous cliffs ran across the opening and disappeared into a cave upon the other side i glanced at my watch it seemed that i had been traveling for an interminable time but it was barely eleven o'clock i sat down to eat and the thought occurred to me that this would make a good camping place if necessary for it was quite warm at such a depth below the surface of the hills and my fur coat had begun to feel oppressive i felt drowsy too and somehow before i was aware of any fatigue i was asleep that was a lucky thing for i was not destined to sleep much the following night it was three o'clock when i awoke and at first, as always since my journey began, I could not remember where I was. And, as always, it was the thought of Jacqueline that recalled to me my surroundings. I sprang to my feet and made hasty preparations to resume my journey. A short investigation showed me that I had come into a cul-de-sac, for there was no path through the opposite hills. There were, however, a number of extensive caves in the porous limestone cliffs, any of which might prove to be the sequence of the road. The first thing that I perceived on beginning my search was that men had been here before me. What was the place? A robber's den? A camp of outlaws? In the first cave that I explored, I found a stock of provisions, flour and canned meats and matches snugly stored away safe from the damp and snow nearby were picks and shovels and three very reputable blankets with a miscellany of materials suggestive of the camping party's outfit i might have been more surprised than i was but my thoughts were centered on jacqueline and the waning of the light showed me that the sun must be well down in the sky i must get on at once if i were to reach the chateau that night but how i might have wandered for an indefinite time among those caves before striking the road that i was off the track now seemed certain for it was obvious that no sleigh could pass through those walls the thin drift of snow that had covered the ground was almost melted but enough remained to have showed the pad prints of the dog if it had passed that way there was none nor were there tracks of sleigh runners which would at least have scored them in the sandy ooze along the bed of the rivulet i had evidently then strayed from the right course while wandering through the tunnel and thus come by mischance into this blind alley i had noticed as i have said that the path narrowed considerably during the last few hundred feet that I had traversed before I reached this open place. In the darkness, I might easily have debouched along one of the numerous paths which, no doubt, existed all through the interior of this limestone formation. I started back in haste and re-entered the tunnel again, striking a match every few seconds, lighting each by its predecessor. I had been traveling back for about ten minutes when I noticed at my feet the charred stump of a match that I had thrown away some time before. I looked around me and saw that I was again in the main road. There were the faint depressions caused by the sleigh runners in the soft stone, and the roof and side walls of the tunnel again stretched away into the obscurity around me satisfied that i had retraced my steps sufficiently far i turned about and began to proceed cautiously in the opposite direction keeping this time as far as possible to the right of the road instead of to the left as before the box of matches which i had brought with me was nearly exhausted but by shielding each one carefully i was able to examine my ground with fair assurance of my being on the right course A draft was now beginning to blow quite strongly inward, and this convinced me that I was approaching the tunnel's end. As I proceeded, I kept looking to the left to endeavor to locate the narrow passage into which I had strayed, but it must have been the merest opening in the wall, so small that only a miracle of chance had led me into it, for I saw nothing but the straight passage before me. Presently I began to hear a murmur of water in the distance, and then a faint flicker of light. The ground began to grow softer, and now I was treading upon ooze and mud instead of rock. The murmur increased in a sonorous crescendo until the full cadence of the mighty waterfall burst on my ears. A fiery ball seemed to fill the exit. The red sun barred with bands of coal-black cloud, was dipping into the farther verge of the lake. The thunder of the cataracts filled my ears. A fine spray, like a garment of filmy silk, obscured my clearer vision, but through and beyond it, between two torrents that sailed above like crystal bows, I saw the chateau before me. End of Chapter Twelve